Welcome to the Data Bytes podcast, brought to you by Women in Data. My name is Sadie St. Lawrence, and it's my pleasure to be your host for these weekly interviews where we share inspiring stories, thought leaderships, and discussions to help you excel in your data career. At Women in Data, our mission is to increase diversity in data careers, and we do this through awareness, education, and empowerment. Today, I'm speaking with Alex Bolander. Alex is a digital evangelist for P3 Adaptive. She has a knack for automation, process improvement, and providing a human element to technical solutions. In addition to owning two small businesses, she recently made the transition from Power BI developer slash business analyst to digital evangelist, where she melds her love for data and creativity into one career path. In this episode, Alex shares how her vast experience has allowed her to carve her own path to become a digital evangelist and the importance of adding the human element into technology development. Finally, she talks about some of the barriers she has faced as a woman in technology and the work that we can do to continue to break down these barriers. Welcome to the Data Bytes Podcast, Alex. I'm so happy to be chatting with you today. Yes, it's so great to be here. Thank you for having me. So just to just to level set for people, you currently work as a digital evangelist, and I feel like the evangelist term is something that's been popping up a lot more, whether it be a data evangelist, a digital evangelist, a tech evangelist, um, similar to how we see in data careers, you can slap something onto anything, you know, data scientist, data engineer, data analyst, data governance, evangelist is kind of becoming the same term where you can be almost, it feels like an evangelist for anything in technology. Can you give us a little bit more background about what it means to be a digital evangelist and how you found yourself in this career path? Yeah, absolutely. That's a great question. So I feel like a digital evangelist or really an evangelist of any nature, right, they basically bridge a gap and they bridge multiple gaps. So like for me, as a digital evangelist, I bridge the gap between a variety of departments such as operations, to sales, to client experience, to marketing. So everything about being a digital evangelist for me is taking everything that I know about the industry, which for me, for a for the most part, is Power BI, data analytics, efficiency processes, a little bit of social media, Google Ads, SEO, like all of this random knowledge that I have and applying that knowledge to any area of the company, wherever I can, however I can. Well, wow, that's a lot. So you, and have, then for, you have all this random knowledge, right? And I, I'm sure there's a lot of people who, who, who feel the same because I know when you come to write your resume, it's like, how do I put on one or two pages, like all the things I know and all the things I can do. So it sounds like in some ways, maybe evangelist is a good option. If you're like a jack of all trades, like, is that kind of how you found yourself in it? I'm like, I kind of like a little bit of everything. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. I feel like me putting multi-passionate on my resume doesn't quite cut it. (laughs) So it actually works out because the digital evangelist role literally is taking all of my random and mixed passions that I have and puts it into one job. So that's kind of how I found myself here, um, which works out really well. So when you talk about all these mixed passions, you know, I'm sure it can't just be anything like 
basket weaving, guitar playing, power BI, like you don't get to combine everything in there. So there has to be some skill set that's like a general, if you broke it down into like categories, what would you say those like categories of skills are that make a really good digital evangelist? Yeah, that's a great question. I feel like a lot of it really comes down to critical thinking, problem solving. Uh, in my case, I also do a lot of copywriting, uh, but it's copywriting about Power BI and copywriting about operations and copywriting about sales processes. Um, but then also, obviously, I know Power BI and data analytics. Uh, so just kind of like breaking it down into those different pieces. I personally really love Power BI, and I also really love Power Query, uh, which lives within Power BI. But those are kind of like the main bread and butter. So with all these skills, like I'm guessing this was not something that you developed by just taking a master's program or one class at a time. Like what did that journey look like to developing all these skills? Where did you get started in your first tech role? And then what were the transition points along the way that led you to this place today? So I feel like my story is a little unique, but I'm sure we all feel that way when it comes to our journey to accidentally getting into tech. Um, and I definitely feel like I accidentally got into tech. So I was going to school full time for business because naturally when you get out of high school, you're like, business sounds like a great, great path. So I chose business. I was working full time in retail, then switched to a call center uh, while I was working in the call center. I realized that I've just had a love for finding more time to do the things that I really love, going back to that multi-passionate. Uh, I think of time as currency. So if you have the ability to have more time in your day, you have more money in your day, essentially, right? Um, so long story short, when I was working in this call center, I was asked to cover this FMLA position uh, for one of my coworkers. And when I stepped into her job, I realized that the majority of her job was manual. Like literally every process of her job was manual. Everything from like doing badge punches to covering overtime to sending like the cafe orders, uh, everything was just so manual. And I was spending an extra 20 hours a week doing this job when I realized, well, we could just automate this with some Excel formulas and some pivot tables, right? And this was back in the day where it was everything was DBA and macros and pivot tables. And so I learned the process, the very manual process, and I rebuilt it from the ground up using all of this new technology, right? Because pivot tables at the time was new technology. <laughs> um, but I just felt this like fire was lit inside of me because all of a sudden, I took this 15 to 20 hour manual process and I was able to consolidate it down into two hours. So therefore I had just saved 13 hours, you know, 17 hours worth of time. And I was able to save so much more time and money for the company, but I was also then able to learn how to new, do new things as a result. Um, so that was kind of like where the fire first lit inside of me. And then I started getting into more projects where I was able to really leverage that like time and money savings mentality 
And so I was dealing with this courier service and long story short, they were always late and they had a policy if they were 15 minutes late, then basically your courier service was free. And I treat company money as if it were my own money. And I was annoyed that they were late and I wasn't even paying for the service. So I went back, I downloaded all 12 months worth of their courier uh, history. And I put some really annoyingly complex, unnecessarily complex formulas onto um, this uh, the spreadsheet. And I was able to find over $2,000 worth of savings that basically this courier service wasn't performing their services appropriately. And so we ended up getting that money back but the company that I was working for didn't have a system in place to track when they were late. So they were basically losing money and their services were late. So it was like a lose-lose situation. And that really just like fueled my passion because I was able to find time and money and able to do all the other things that I was able to do. So I feel like from there, I started looking into, at that point I had graduated with my associate. So I was like, all right, now I need to like find my big kid degree and what I wanted to go to school for. And I didn't really want to get a bachelor's in business because I already had an associate's and it was really just going to give me a more granular version of what that process looked like. I wanted something that was a little bit more technical. So I looked into computer science, but it was only offered on campus, which really didn't work with the whole, I needed to support myself while going to school full-time. Uh, so I looked into the closest thing to that, which was digital marketing technology. And that is a generalist degree that basically teaches graphic design meets coding meets front end development meets back end development meets analytics. It's basically so digital marketing technology meets web design meets analytics meets UX meets graphic design meets computer science knowledge. And it's all taught in this one program. And while I never really had the intention of actually going into marketing, um, what I ended up being able to do was leverage all of the theory that they were teaching in those coding classes. Because for the most part, all of the coding classes teach the same theory, but the syntax is different. So if I was able to really master the theory and master what they were teaching, then I can use that knowledge and apply it anywhere else that I needed to. So anyways, long story short, I ended up falling in love with the UX and the UI uh, aspects mixed with the analytics. So for like a marketing perspective, if you do a really awesome job with your website and you think of the path that your client's going on and then your copy is really compelling and it backs that up, well, then your analytics are gonna prove that you're doing the things that you need to do. So it's like all of these different pieces connect together from your design to how your UX and your UI is and how your copy is. And that really helps funnel money into the business. And that's really fun for me because you can really make or break a company on whether or not you have leads coming in. So that was kind of what set me out on the path. Fast forward a few years later, I finished my degree, was officially looking for like my big kid job. Um, with my really awesome expensive piece of paper that I had at the time and the job market wasn't great. So I actually quit my full-time job in a call center and I took an internship position in marketing. And while I was interviewing for this marketing position, the interviewer was like, you seem like an analyst. 
And I just remember leaving that interview like, what? You think I'm an analyst? Like, I've made it. You thought of me as an analyst. Like, I'm in here for an internship position. And based on the things that I'm saying and how I'm talking about data and efficiency and processes, you think that I'm an analyst. So anyways, I got the job, but I just remember that that was such a pivotal moment for me that someone thought of me as an analyst, which was really cool. I actually had a really similar experience from my first, you know, big corporate job where I went into interview and they were like, okay, we really like you, but not for the position you interviewed for. You're way too curious. So we're going to put you over in this other side. And it ended up being like the best thing ever. And I think based on your story, like it's so important and it's so helpful when hiring managers can really see who that true person is. Cause so often, like, especially for entry level jobs, people just want to get their foot in the door. So they're like, I'll do whatever, right? Like I'll be an intern, I'll be whatever. But to have somebody say, Hey, you, you seem more like an analyst or you're too curious. Like that can really change the trajectory of someone's career. But also I'm sure ends up helping with the retention of an employee. Cause I think I'm guessing after you had that experience, you're like, wow, like they really see me and get me and feel me like this is a place that I want to be. Yeah, it was a game changer. I worked there for three years and I was really able to play with a variety of the different like theories and skills that I had learned in school and also really work on finding more time for the department. So I was, I've always been in this like really weird hybrid role between marketing and operations and analytics. And no matter which company I'm at or which role I'm in, I always find myself in this like weird hybrid evangelist type role. But yeah, I it's it's really it's really unique and it's really fun to be able to give back to a company, especially when they give to you. Obviously like that's the whole point of employees and companies is it's give and take between the two, but it's really fun when you can give back. Yeah. I want to dive back um, into a, also, a first portion of your story too, because I think this is really valuable. A lot of people feel this in their current job is where you're doing something that's a manual process and you know, it can be automated, but you're so busy stuck in the day-to-day of the manual process that you can't find the time to actually automate that so that you can free up your time, right? Because the process of automating, it's going to initially take more time, even though you know you're going to get the time on the back end later. So how did you navigate that in your first role? Because to me, that's really interesting that you not only saw it being so early on in your career, but then found the time to actually automate it and do it. So like, what advice do you have for people balancing that too? Like, I know I can automate this, but I don't have any time to automate it because I'm stuck in the manual day to day. Um, Great question. I guess I did it both ways. So for me, my biggest thing is seek to understand before you just go and change things, um, which is like not very philosophical, Um, but you really need to be able to seek to understand. So like the current process is set up for whatever reason, but the current process is set up a, a specific way. So you really have to learn to understand all the intricacies of why that process is set the way that it is to be able to automate it and it have it really be impactful. So while I was able to really automate a lot of things at that you know, first analyst job that I had, what really was a game changer is when I moved to essentially my second big kid job, 
where my first project was I had to go in and automate this, or I should say, I had to go in and audit this process that took two employees 40 hours a week. Like, so 80 hours of full-time work to audit this manual process that, in my opinion, really wasn't that impactful. And I just knew that there had to be a better way. And I had never used Power Query and I had never used, you know, Power BI at this point, but I knew that there had to be a better way. And with the help and some guidance with, uh, from a coworker, I ended up finding a way to automate that in Power Query. And I did it the manual way. So I did the two week long audit process. And then I spent two weeks and I convinced my boss at the time, like, hey, I can automate this. I'll get it down to where it's not basically costing you 80 hours of employee time, but I need approximately a week to two weeks to do it. He at the time was very big into time payoff. So he was like, if you, if you can do that, let's do it. So I did my regular job while doing these other processes. I'm sure I put in overtime to do it. And I was so excited because as I continued to get into it, I ended up automating the entire 80-hour process into a 30-second refreshable query and power query. And that process went from a quarterly two-week headache to that could be ran every day and it took 30 seconds. Wow, incredible. I think that's that's so inspiring. Um, when just your mindset too of like, I treat company money like my own money or company time like my own time. Like I think that is the foundation of it is you really started to take ownership of things, right? Instead of being in a, in a position or a place where you're like, oh, this is the process and it's terrible and my boss needs to find more time to fix this. Like you truly took ownership of this problem and were able to solve it. And I'm sure then allowed you to go on to do other things or start to learn more things that ended up coming back and giving back to you in other ways. Exactly. So that's, that's kind of my favorite thing is like, if you have something that's taking up all of this time and you automate it, you get that time back to go learn and do. And as I like to say, play with other things. <laughs> so, so today, what are some of the things that you really enjoy playing with or doing? Like how, how do you continue to make data fun in your life today? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, I feel like I'm right now I'm playing a lot with Google ads, uh, which is this massive world of the unknown because <laughs> Google ads isn't something that gives an immediate payoff. Like you can create this ad with what you think is super awesome and compelling copy that's going to get someone to convert, but you have to wait about a week before you actually see any of the payoff. And then you have to start doing some like A-B testing to really figure out, you know, is this actually doing what I think it's going to be doing? And then go back to the analytics and see, okay, I thought it was going to go this way. It actually went this way. This copy that I didn't think was going to perform that well actually is performing really well or vice versa. So I've been playing a lot with, um, we have this digital advertising power BI model, and I've been playing quite a bit with that as well as some of the landing page copy in the UX and UI design. I also just had to do this massive um, data migration process. Long story short, Google had deprecated one of their old APIs and we used Stitch to get in all of our data. 
And so because Google deprecated the old API, and not only did they deprecate the old API, but they renamed all of the tables and all of the column headers. So you had to map all of the fields, but then the actual fields within the tables were differently. So that was a really fun project where I needed to learn SQL basically overnight to remap all of this new migration. So that was really fun. Yeah, that's one of the things that's exciting about a technology career is that like the learning never stops. And not only because new technology is coming out, but also things just change, right? They decide to update the API and you're like, okay, this changes how we use all of this. Like I got to go in and learn this and figure out how to update this. And so you definitely have to have a learner's mindset if you want to be in this industry and stay in this industry a while. But I want to shift gears a little bit because one of the things that you do really well is combining a human element with a technology element. And I don't know if this came from someone in your marketing background where you have to think about how people will perceive um, the content you're sharing or the member journey or engagement customer journey that you take them on. But you have a really good approach to looking at not only the tech element, but also in combination with the human element. And so I'd love to hear from you, why is it so essential that when we're building tools and solutions and technology, we make sure that we're putting the human element front and center in that equation. Yeah, that's amazing. I think everything really comes down to being able to treat people kindly and then also understand how people are going to use the tools that you're creating and being able to answer the fundamental questions of who, what, when, where, why, and how. So if you're doing data analytics or building a tool or a report or a dashboard, you need to understand who's using it, how they're going to use it, why they should care about it, right? We live in information overload in today's society, and this is, and in most companies, it's just another report. So why is this report different than the 20 other reports that this employee is supposed to look at every single day? So if you really get into the mindset of who your end user is, who, who they are, how they're using it, why they should care about it, then it makes that tool impactful, but it also really answers a lot of their questions that they can use to do their job better. If they can do their job better and they get more time, right, they get more money, and that really starts to funnel from basically that um, field-level employee or that, you know, employee all the way up to you know the CEO of the company so I don't know that's really important for me is just thinking about who's using it I'm sure it's not the best mentality that I don't think about the CEO always when I was creating um, all of my reports but I would think about that you know person at the most basic level who's going to be using it and why they should care about it yeah, and it sounds like to put yourself in that mindset, you you have to have a lot of empathy, right? Because you're you have to put yourself in the mindset of that other person, and so just to be able to do that in the first place, you have to have empathy for like what does their day look like? You know, like how do they come into work? What are the other problems that they're potentially dealing with? I think it's really easy as analysts or technologists to get in the standpoint of like 
all that people care about is my report and that they're reading, but their day actually encapsulates a lot more than just that. And so having that empathy to really put yourself in their mindset and bring in that human element seems to be really essential. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things that you've shared with me before is just the importance of bringing your full self to work. And I think talking about the human element, right? We have to remember to put the human element into the technology that we're building. But more importantly, we have to put our own human element into the work that we're doing. And so have there been any times in your career where you felt like you weren't able to bring your full self to work or you just somehow forgot to leave your own personal human element and, and what were some of the potential repercussions of that? Yeah. Um, so I guess there's a variety of ways that you can either continue to bring your full self to work or try and bring your whole self to work. Um, but I also try to have passions outside of data. I think that that's really helpful for me to bring my whole self to work. I love data. I love analytics but it can also be very overwhelming at times. You know, obviously when you're building dashboards and reports for CEOs and doing different things, it can be overwhelming and it can be a lot. So for me, I always try and have a way to find a break or reprieve from data and development work and doing some of those things to be able to fuel my passion in other areas. So that way I'm, I'm a better employee overall. Um, so like a lot of our employees at P3, right, they're some of the best developers in the nation. And we use developers really loosely because a lot of people think of developers and they think about coders who are sitting in their cubicle and they don't really um, think about their end user too much. And maybe they're not, you know, having that empathy like you had said, um, but really our principal consultants are developers that go beyond just the requirements and they think about the clients and the customers and the different ways that they can help enable them and empower them to do their job beyond just the basic scopes and requirements. I think that's like really the number one thing that you have to think about is as you're getting into data and also while you're trying to bring your full self into work and remaining passionate about all of these different things, like you have to think about who's using it and like how you can help people because really at the end of the day, like that's what data is, is like you can use numbers to help people do their job and live their lives better. No, I think you summed that up so well. Like data is really about helping people. And, you know, I think that's such an important point to call out because it can, you know, from an outside perspective, you can first think of data as like really bland, black and white numbers, right? What are you going to do with it? But it's all a representation of people, right? Like people are the ones who actually are creating the data usually from the systems that they use and the ways they interact. And so it's a reflection of a person and you take that information and create insights out of it, usually to help people, whether that be to help through the product or service, the end result of it has an effect on people. And I think that is such an important barrier um, that we often forget that's important to keep in mind. And I'm so glad um, that you brought up that subject. So just talking a little bit more about barriers, as a woman in technology, have there been any barriers that you've faced in terms of either breaking into the field or sustaining into the field? 
Um, and if so, like what advice do you have for women working in a data career to continue to break down those barriers? I think one of the most recent barriers that I faced was at my prior company. I was asked to meet with this director on best practices for building a Power BI model. I get on the meeting and I meet with this director and he was instantly disappointed that it was me. And at this company, uh, we didn't use Teams photos. So my guess is he thought that I was going to be a guy. Uh, lo and behold, I am a young female and he gets on the phone and literally the first question wasn't, hi, how are you? It was, oh, so is this your first job out of college? How long have you been here? And I was like, no, I've been like, I, I've been at this company for three years. I'm not the intern. I'm not the admin, you know, I've been here for three years. I have over 10 years worth of experience. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not necessarily the, you know, fresh out of college face anymore. <laughs> um, but anyways, you know, it was this really slow and kind of daunting conversation at first because he kept, kept challenging me and my experience and everything that I was telling him. And after about 45 minutes in this conversation, teaching him tips and tricks about data modeling, he realized that I kind of knew what I was talking about, but I was just like, this conversation could have gone so much better had you gone into it with the approach that I might know what I'm talking about. Yeah, and I think that's good feedback for all of us because, you know, unconscious bias is very real, right? And we may have it happen to us and that's really unfortunate and it can be heartbreaking and it can be just hard mentally. But I think when anytime those instances happen to me, I also am like, okay, what, what conversations and I'm going into and not being curious myself, right? Because just as you mentioned, like, oh, this conversation would have been so much better if you just would have came in with a more, a, a more of an open mind. And so I think that's like such a good reminder when those instances happen to me, like, how do I make sure that I'm doing that for everyone that I approach? Um, but if you are an instance on the receiving end of maybe some unconscious bias, like how do you deal with that mentally to continue to move forward or to not let that creep into self-doubt about yourself? Like maybe I am just intern material or maybe I am just, you know, low level material. How do you continue to like mentally stay strong to be able to have that conversation to show people who you really are? Well, for me personally, I use it as a challenge. Like if you want to think I'm the intern or the janitor or the admin, please feel free. Go ahead. By all means. At the end of the day, when I show up and I do the job that I'm doing and you realize that I'm not just the intern or just the admin, then you'll realize and there will come a point in the conversation that you're like, oh, wait a minute. She does know. So I have this like little motto or this little saying that there's two things that define you, your patience when you have everything and your attitude when you have nothing. So for me, I just don't really like to say anything or tell people differently. And I just use that self-doubt that they have in me as a challenge to really just bring my best version and show up and just continually show them by example. Like I, I used to have to be in these executive leadership meetings where I was literally the youngest person in the room by a minimum of 20 years. 
and I would have to present in front of these executives. And I, they, again, all thought that I was the intern. They all thought that I was the admin. They literally would question why I was there because not only was I the youngest person in the room, but I was like one of two women in the room. And I had to present to men about basically why they were not performing as well as they could or why they or you know, the different areas that they could do better in. And I had to use data, again, as a vessel to prove that, hey, in the nicest way possible, you can improve your business so you can have your cake and you can eat it too, but here's how we do this and we can do it together. I love, I love that quote of, it's about your attitude when you have everything and your patience when you have nothing. I think it's such a good reminder for all of us um, that whatever position we're in, right? Like we have the power and the control, whether it be through our attitude or through our response, like as much as it seems like the world, outside world is affecting us, like we have the power to control our attitude and make that change. And I think you've done a great job of taking that as a challenge and an opportunity to say, hey, I'm not going to let your first judgment be my final judgment. And I'm going to take this as an opportunity to share who I really am or to share my knowledge. And um, you've proven that it works really well and have done really well for yourself. So congratulations. And thank you for continuing to show up every day as your true self. Thank you. Well, I would love to continue this conversation, but one of my favorite parts of the episode is the rapid fire questions. And I'm so excited to hear some of your answers. If you are ready, we can jump into the rapid fire questions. Yeah, absolutely. All right. What song do you currently have on repeat? Uh, I feel like I am not necessarily a music gal. I'm a podcast gal, like through and through and audiobooks, but I've been listening to um, Want More by Kaleo. Nice. Okay. I'm going to look that up. I haven't yeah. listened to it yet. I'm really big into, <laughs> I've been, uh, I've been very big into folk music lately. So it's kind of fun. Favorite place you've traveled? Uh, the Wisconsin Northwoods. Happiness is? My family. I feel like having the time and the space and the ability to experience new things with them is everything. In the next five years, I hope to? Have the ability to drive more insights and actions from data. To me, curiosity is? Ooh, ever learning, ever growing, and constantly asking or constantly answering the question of why and how this can be better. That sums it up perfectly because it takes us really back to the beginning of the conversation. You, <laughs> and that's, I'm, you live that, right? In terms of every process you've updated, everything you've looked at, you always came in asking why and how can this be better and looking to understand first versus before making a change. So thank you for sharing that because it, it just reflects in the way you carry yourself and the things you do. Um, you really do have a curious mindset and ask yourself why and how can this be better? So thank you for so much for coming on the show and sharing these insights with us and sharing your story. Um, I really enjoyed this conversation. What's the best way for people to stay connected with you if they want to learn more? 
Yeah, great question. Um, I would say uh, LinkedIn is probably the easiest way to uh, reach me. And then if you're in the mood or, you know, in the market for, I should say market, not mood. <laughs> um, but if you're in the market for uh, some of the best power platform uh, folks in the nation, p3adaptive.com is where you find us. I love it. Well, we'll be sure to include your LinkedIn and P3 in the show notes. Um, we're happy to have them as a proud sponsor of Women in Data. Um, it's allowed us to meet amazing people like yourself. And I love the work that you are doing over there with combining the human element with the tech element to really create innovative solutions for clients. So thank you for your work. And thanks again for coming on the show. This was a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you everyone for tuning in and listening. We wouldn't have a show without you. And so we want to leave you today to remember to stay curious and keep learning. And we will catch you next time on the Databytes Podcast. Thank If you enjoyed today's conversation on the Databytes Podcast, we welcome you to continue the conversation and join our global community by becoming a member at womenindata.org. All Databytes listeners receive 20% off using the promo code DATABYTES20.